0: Hello and welcome to the paper lantern, a career focused podcast for students and young professionals. I'm your host Derek Wong. And my goal is to help light up your career path by sharing stories, advice and perspectives from relatable role models. Each episode I sit down with an inspiring achiever, creator or professional who's excited to share their advice to help you discover your passion or get unstuck. If each episode represents one paper lantern, My dream is to fill the sky with paper lanterns for the whole world to see. Thanks for listening to the Paper Lantern Podcast, and I hope that you enjoy each episode. Hello, lovely listeners. This is Derek checking in from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. I'm recording this episode in the evening. There is a huge construction site that is working right next to my window, so every morning I'm greeted by metal banging and drill saws. So for myself, I've been a little bit behind recording, but I had a chance to have a quiet afternoon to edit this episode. I'm excited to share this podcast interview with my Koitong who is a senior copywriter for Riot Games, the developer and publisher of the smash hit League of Legends. Mai is a gifted storyteller, writer, and a role model for young women and aspiring creatives alike. She is an uncommonly wonderful, hilarious, and an all-around awesome human being. She is full of puns, literary references, and astutely perfect grammar. In this episode, as well as in real life, she can often be heard breaking out in raucous laughter. I admire her creative spirit and how she walks the talk of living her life as her most genuine and authentic self. During the time we worked together as teammates on the personalization publishing team at Riot Games, she was always dependable, open-minded, and brought fresh new ideas to the table. As she grows her craft as a writer, aspiring creative director, and a budding indie game developer, she always makes time to share her stories and learnings with her peers and the many folks that she mentors. I'm very thankful to have learned so much from Mai and to call her a friend. On this wide-ranging episode, we cover a lot of ground and go quite deep into Mai's career journey and creative path. For folks that might want to jump ahead or jump around, I've added timestamps to the different questions and the responses to the show notes. I've also added links to the books, games, authors, and all the other great content that we reference to the show notes as well. They can all be viewed at thepaperlantern.blog. I wanted to call out that I recorded the podcast interview while in my hotel room in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where I was attending the great annual uh, Lantern Festival, an incredible experience. But the hotel did not have the best internet connection. As a result, there might be some parts where the audio will sound clipped or jumpy. I tried to edit them to be a little bit smoother, but we'll have to live with these results. With that all said, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome, Mai Koytong, to the Paper Lantern Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Hi, Derek. I can't wait to get started in chat.
0: Absolutely. Uh, to start things off, could you share a little bit more about what you currently do for your job?
1: Absolutely. So I work in Los Angeles as a senior copywriter and creative at a small indie game company called Riot Games uh, for um, a game called League of
0: Legends. Ooh, many, many people love that game, including <laughs> myself, but we'll yeah. definitely talk more about your, your job responsibilities and your path to becoming a, uh, a creative at one of the world's most popular games. But mm-hmm. before you go there, love to ask you a few questions to get to know you on a more personal basis. Uh, mm-hmm. So to start things off, uh, what is your element? And you can answer this in any way you want. It could be periodic table of the elements or it could be, Ooh. you know, whatever you want to draw this from
1: oh cool well uh when you when you posed that question i was thinking more in the space of um uh like the elements water, like fire, fire water please yeah.
0: <laughs> answer however you want it could be that it could be in the water literally but yeah what is your element
1: um yeah so i would say in the more traditional sense that i'm definitely a water not just because the zodiac sign is cancer the crab um, being able to kind of blend between land and sea. But um, I love water because it's so fluid. Um, it can take on the shape and form of whatever container it's in. So it's very adaptable. Um, water is really closely tied to the emotions as well. Um, and I definitely kind of channel that and use that as a source when it comes to connecting with people, um, when it comes to understanding things around me in my life. Um, I've kind of used that as a North Star. So I feel very to that element. so I live um, in Santa Monica, and so I'm very close to the beach. I found that as really um, wonderful respite whenever I need to kind of disconnect and, uh, you know, from all the city life stuff and, and just sit there and reflect.
0: Mm, beautifully shared. And I think um, yeah. having worked with you in the past, I definitely know that these, you know, being in tuned and being flexible are very much, you know, uh, your persona. And I really appreciate that. As a writer, as someone that has worked in the creative space, are there any books or authors that you love or find inspiration from?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the number one book when it comes to to writing um, and inspiration has to be On Writing by Stephen King. Um, I remember... It was a recommendation from a creative professor um, when I was at school at the University of Texas at Austin. It just really stuck with me, Um, you know, kind of learning about the process that a celebrated author like Stephen King kind of goes through. He talks about the process of writing, but it's also stuff that you can apply to general life as well about like using the tools that you have available to you. And as you discover more about, um, you know, life through your own experiences, like how can you use the tools that you learn to really tell that story. Um, and and so I really enjoy that book a lot. Uh, there is another book called Mindset uh, by Carol Dweck Ooh, that was yeah. actually recommended when I started um, at Riot, but I already actually read it at the mm-hmm. recommendation of a friend. Um, so you can see my book choices are pretty uh, direct and straightforward on writing and mindset. Um, but mindset really talks about um, looking at things through a growth-oriented lens, mm-hmm. and getting really real about the things that we are uh, like growth-oriented about, whether it is ourself, our friends, our family, others. Things that we might have a more closed mindset about, things that feel like there are less, uh, there's less room to grow or there's less opportunity and kind of uh, how changing, changing your framework can really uh, facilitate faster and more um, like that really serves you.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think mindset is a book that a lot of folks in the business side or the marketing side love to. You, know, you drop the buzzword, oh, we got to have a growth mindset about this, got to have a growth mm-hmm. mindset about this. But I think when you read the book and apply it from a personal development perspective, it's really, mm-hmm. really empowering, that growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I remember yes. having a, I really, really loved that book, and I bought a bunch of copies and started giving it to a few of my friends, some of the folks that I was mentoring, mm-hmm. and they really, really liked it. So I'm really I'm glad that you you found a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, Uh What about uh, fiction? Do you read any fiction or have there been any uh, fantasy or sci-fi stories in the past that you you fell in love with?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, young adult fiction for a while, I guess maybe because I had started a narrative in my head that I had grown that space. Um, mm-hmm. But coming to write, there were quite a few writers who love YA, and so they would be gushing about the latest stories from so and so author, and it made me realize, oh, there's still space to to read those books, you know. Mm-hmm. So this year, I picked up a book called uh, Skyward uh, by by Brandon Sanderson, and it's a story about a a young girl who's trying to follow in her father's footsteps to become what's called a starfighter in that, uh, in that world. And they're basically these celebrated heroes who fight against this alien threat. And um, the larger story is also her trying to, de- to understand, like, why her father defected and was then shot down. Because that's not the kind of person her father was, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of, like, seen as this daughter of a traitor. But there's probably uh, a lot more to the story than meets the eye. And so I found a lot of joy in reading that. Uh, one, because I just love space stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a little girl, the first thing I ever wanted to be was a space cowgirl.
0: Oh, very Texas. Yes. Right. By the a way, yeah.
1: <laughs> by the way, I was born in Houston, Texas. Oh, so, okay. So. Yeah. Um, so it was really nice to kind of, uh, you know, sit in the pilot seat as a reader um, and and go on that kind of journey. And his second book, starsight uh, Star Sight*, I believe, is coming out in December, and so I pre-ordered that. And there was such a rush of of joy and delight. To, to delve into that because I have allowed that space I'm reading a lot of books on self-development uh, more non-fiction books um, which have been really interesting and fun but there's definitely joy in in delving into alternate fantasies and universes
0: absolutely I think Brandon Sanderson is such a, a powerful writer who creates incredible worlds whether in the fantasy space or sci-fi I fell in love with the Stormlight Archive and the Mist Oh, series. yeah. It's so incredible. But it sounds it's like he's, he's working on this sci-fi stuff instead of writing that next book on <laughs> the Stormlight Archive. So it'll be another five years until we get a, to see another one of those. <laughs> and then for yourself, I imagine whether it's writer's block, a stressful day at work, you know, a lot of times it's you know, we need that little bit of a comfort hug from our favorite foods. Are there any favorite guilty pleasure <laughs> foods that you have that you like to share?
1: Um, yes, as a Southerner, I definitely love mashed potatoes. I uh, like mashed potatoes, are definitely a comfort food. Um, I grew up in a Thai household, so I love uh, this dish called Tom Yum Gung, which is a lemongrass based soup, uh, seafood soup with shrimp. Uh, I'm sure you've had some of it uh, currently in Thailand yourself, oh, no. uh, Derek. <laughs> I love it. Um Definitely love chocolate, all kinds of chocolate. That's always a go-to comfort food, especially in the form of brownies. Mm. Um, yeah, I could, I could go on forever. This could take up the entire podcast.
0: There'll <laughs> be a follow-up episode: <laughs> the guilty, the guilty pleasure foods to feed your inner muse. I suppose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Awesome. Thanks for sharing a lot about your your personal elements, your favorite books and authors, and of course the pleasure foods. But let's Mm just switch gears and talk more about your journey. As someone that works in the creative space as a writer, I'm sure that there's a lot of uncertainty or, you know, discovery along the way of figuring out Mm -hmm. how do you bring your love and passion for writing and develop a career. Could you share more about your journey from being an aspiring writer to now walking the talk and being a creative?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, English and writing kind of became a thing that I identified with very early on in my life. Um, I was born in the U.S., but then my family and I moved back to Thailand for about a year when I was around two or three. Um, we stayed there for a year, and then my parents decided to move back to the U.S. Uh, because there was just more opportunity out here. And I actually had to relearn um, English, so I was in ESL, and I just remember having, well, ESL is uh, English as a second language, um, and teachers were supportive and, like, cheering me on and saying, oh, like, Maya's doing so wonderfully. I remember, like, seeing, like, little report cards, they would just write these uh, messages and stickers so my parents could see how I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in second grade I remember going on a field trip to Brazos Bend State Park in Texas and we had to write a personal narrative about our field trip experience um, and my second grade teacher Mrs. McConnell selected my my narrative um, for which, what the school was creating which was called a rising stars uh, pamphlet so like each teacher from each grade would take Uh, an essay that they selected and put that in the book and Mm. so she told me that she picked mine and that's when I started getting that feeling of oh like maybe I'm kind of good at this thing or like it somehow it reaches people because Mm. like it makes them kind of like interested and want to read it Um, and then in fifth grade we had to write this essay about our family um and every year it got submitted to a county-wide contest called family of the year and that year in the county my best friend uh, in the class won first place in the county and i won second place wow and um, i remember uh the the administrators for the contest coming to the school and then me going on stage with my mom uh, to receive my award and then also um, you know just standing there while she read my essay to the entire school which is a little bit embarrassing.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, you know I look back on those moments, those milestones um, and it was kind of like the world telling me that, hey, I'm listening to you and you have something really important to say um, and the world is listening in some respect, right? Whether it is the microcosm of fifth grade or the larger world. And um, yeah, I just I just remember being really inspired mostly by my English teachers. Um, my teacher in fifth grade, Mrs. Fine, um, wrote in my yearbook, you know, like, always go the extra mile and remember to use your voice, right? And that stuck with me and I never really understood at that time, what it meant. I just knew that I had that feeling of like this is important and there was a significance to that message Um, but it was kind of like here's a thing but like it's on you to discover that throughout your journey in life right of what that means to find your voice um and so throughout middle school and high school excelled in english and like did pretty well at math and science but like definitely felt more geared toward expression through um uh literature and and words Mm -hmm. and then uh high school hits and it was time to decide what to major in in college Mm -hmm. and I at the time I wanted to major in English and like write stories but I also was like I don't know what that looks like and I was not uh as confident in my myself at that time to really be like I can do this I can become an author and like make do and make a living. And so I confided in my mom about it. And she said, you know, like, you're really good at writing and articulating things and speaking to people and making them feel really welcome. And so that feels like a communication focused um, kind of skill. So why don't you go into the communication, the College of Communication um, at UT Austin? And so I was like, cool. So I looked into that. I went in undeclared and my freshman orientation or summer orientation I went there and I met uh, this girl called Sarah who was also undeclared and we instantly became friends (laughs) and uh, we were like, Oh, what should we do? And there were like only a few majors in the college of communications. Uh, There was broadcast journalism, radio, television, film, advertising, uh, communication sciences and disorders. And I think just broadly communications Mm -hmm. and uh, Sarah was like, Ooh, advertising looks interesting. I think I'll go to that information Mm -hmm. session and me, like, you know, not wanting to lose my first friend in college followed after her. <laughs> and I sat down with a career advisor and, um, you know, was just like, what is advertising? Because to me at the time, it was just like, you know, those annoying commercials that no one wants to listen to. Used oh, yeah. car sales ads. You know, like, do you remember? Head on. Applied directly oh, to, directly the, to forehead. the forehead.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> 60, right? It's like, ah, oh, is, uh-huh. that, is that
1: kind of what advertising is? Uh-huh. And so he broke it down for me. So at the time it was... Um, media, interactive, and then uh, creative. And Mm -hmm. so of course, my ears perked at the last one. And I was like, you can be creative in advertising. And he broke it down into um, two things. One was art direction and one was copywriting. And you would think that as someone who had enjoyed writing for Her whole whole life at that point, that I would gear myself toward copywriting, but I was drawn to the glamour of art director, um, being able to like go on photo shoots and like direct art stuff, and so I was like, (laughs) I want to be art director. Uh, And so they had a program called the Texas Creative Program uh, where you could build a portfolio over a few semesters to really set up yourself for success um, in your first kind of job in the advertising industry. And so my first semester in that program, I went the art direction route and I was just awful (laughs) at it. I mean, like I just did not have the discipline. Uh, to be able to like really get good at Photoshop and learn design principles and those kinds of things. And so my first semester I didn't pass. Um, And you can take the class one more time or you can um, just like do your regular track in the advertising field. So I decided to roll up my sleeves and give it another shot, but this time in copywriting. And what do you know, I did fantastically.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's changing the equation a little bit. And just for our listeners sake, is this your second year in college now? Like where would you place yourself chronologically at this point for this program? That
1: was Mm -hmm. my junior year.
0: Junior year. Mm -hmm. Cool.
1: So the creative program and, um, Other other portfolio programs that are in parallel with that are also interactive and media focused. Um, So like your first two years is kind of like generally understanding the foundations of of the advertising curriculum. And then you kind of like decide like what you want to specialize in, if anything at all. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, I definitely want to gear toward creative. So my first two years was me preparing for that that sequence. Wow, oh, yeah, yeah, that
0: track. Interesting, yes, interesting.
1: Exactly. Um, and so did wonderfully in in that respect and kind of learned that, oh, like maybe I don't want to be an art director, but I want to work with art directors, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and as luck would have it, copywriters and art directors work together with a creative director. So that was exactly kind of like me figuring out the second time around, like this might be a better fit while still being able to play in the game. And so I graduated and then... Um, uh i was like i could go into job searching right after graduation or i could enjoy the summer and so i took the summer off to just travel um in around europe uh, for a little bit and i came and during that time i was like applying to a ton of different jobs and internships i think i probably applied to like i don't know 50 to 100 cuz that's wow. just Getting your foot in the door is a milestone Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Um, Mm -hmm. I know it can be really discouraging when, like, you know, you're kind of competing in a red ocean. And, like, how do I make myself stand out? Everyone has a 4.0 GPA. Everyone's, like, got this and that. But uh, you just have to, like, that persistence, I think, is just as important as talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, eventually, I heard back from an agency in Santa Monica, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not a bad place to land.
0: You know Um, it. The West Coast (laughs) is the best coast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as I've learned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I ended up coming out here on a three month internship. um, And I worked as a copywriter intern, met people from all over the states um, and learned a bit. I worked on um, like Honda, on Mandalay Bay, on Intuit. um, So some pretty well known brands. And Uh, working a lot in like the traditional space. So doing like print ads and stuff. But during the time that I had just graduated social media and social media marketing was slowly becoming a thing. It wasn't quite understood yet, but that was where, you know, the needle was moving. So after that agency, I moved to another one, which was purely social media. Um, And so I worked on like household brands, um, beauty brands, got to work with influencers, uh, YouTube influencers, and also like your traditional celebrity as well. And so that really taught me how to write very quickly because when it comes to social media, it's more about um, quantity, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like making sure that you're seen and like that you're catching people's attention, this and that. It's more about building um, brand presence versus like we want you to do something with every single post, you know? Um, And so learned very quickly there. And because it was such a small agency, I got to wear a lot of hats. Um, I got to interact, you know, with clients um, when usually a creative director or an account executive would fulfill that role, especially wow. for someone like me that was pretty entry level at that time. So I power leveled quite a bit, especially because like my, my art director was very senior to me. Uh, and so was my project manager. And so it was like really awesome to get access to that level of experience mm-hmm. um, and have that level of trust um, given to me as well. Um, wow. And and side note, during that time, I was, you know, I, I didn't have a car wow. um in LA. <laughs> and being from Texas, you would think I would have a car, but I was very <laughs> avoidant of having a car. And um I eventually had to like have some form of transportation besides the bus uh, to get to places. Um and so <laughs> instead of getting a car, I thought it would be a lot. Safer for some reason to get a scooter.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember this story. And yeah, you scooting around uh, in LA.
1: Yeah, so I had a scooter for about a year and a half, and I just, I guess, I just loved the freedom of it, and it felt safer because I could see everything <laughs> around mm-hmm. me, um, and I really enjoyed that time period. But eventually, after that gig, um, I I started. A job at an agency in pasadena which was like straight across town i would yeah. need to take the highway uh, so i no longer could have a scooter at that yeah. point i had to get it and, and for some of <laughs> our
0: listeners that might be not be familiar with la yeah. geography la yeah. might be you know one city on a map that you might call it that but la's famous for its traffic <laughs> and to go from one side of la yeah. to another it can be well over an hour during rush yep. hour
1: oh yeah oh yeah so i got a car so that was me also learning some some life skills there, how to drive for the first yeah. time in L.A. <laughs> its
0: own skill set, right?
1: Yes. Yeah city of people from everywhere. Um, So then I worked in Pasadena um, doing, again, a lot of social media marketing, and that was when I had my first gaming clients. Um, So I was working with uh, brands like Zynga, so on games like Words with Friends, Empires and Allies, um, and then also on um, your more traditional console titles like Rock Band 4, um, Dying Light, um, and uh, some more social media for Sonic the Hedgehog which was i think the most um one of the most rewarding clients that i've worked with because they allowed a lot of creative liberty and we could just like experiment and try different things Um, and so that's when i started realizing hey um i can see this intersection of um creating a career out of what I love to do, which is write, uh, be creative about it, and also welcome a hobby into my life, which is gaming, right? I'd grown up playing mostly JRPGs. Um, Final Fantasy VIII was my sentimental favorite that really kept me in games. Before I played that game, I was like, oh, games are like, you know, like Mario Brothers and Frogger and Monopoly. (laughs) Um, And I had enjoyed them, but wasn't enough to keep me interested in that space. But then when I played Final Fantasy, I was like, oh, games can be like storytelling, um, you know, platforms, they can look like movies, Um, they can have character development. And so Fast forward to my 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 job in Pasadena and it was like, oh, I can like blend my love of games with my 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 career and actually, you know, make a living out of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, during that time I had before I had gotten that job I had interviewed with with Riot Games. Um, So I had applied on their on their website. Because they were looking for a brand writer at the time and i looked at the description and it was a lot of more editorial focused uh writing and so i was like well you know i, I could probably do that you know It'd be really cool to work for a games company and i interviewed with them and at the time uh they weren't really familiar with like a writer who was specialized in, in one thing. Um, at the time they were looking for someone who was like a jack of all trades. So someone who could copyright, someone who could write um, brand stories in editorial long form kind of shape, um, someone who could do comms writing. Um, and so uh, we had a, we had a nice chat and then they offered me possibly like a, a contract gig to try things out. But then I got the offer at the Pasadena Agency which was full-time with benefits and everything. Oh. Um, and so I was like, I am going to go this way.
0: <laughs> I did not know about this backstory. That's, that's actually yeah, really important. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And so a year passed um, and then uh, Riot reached out to me again. Um, they, they had kept me on the roster and they had decided, oh, we actually do need a specialized uh, writer, someone who's like, you know, has the background in advertising and marketing uh, because they were realizing that like as they matured as a company, it was important to have that distinction. Um, They were building out their marketing slash publishing arm and realizing the need for those distinctions. Um, And so they reached out to me and I interviewed and and, um, had a really great um, interview process. I realized that I was talking to folks and it just felt like a conversation very similarly to the one that we're having right now where it was just like, It just felt authentic, and it didn't feel high pressure or a need for me to perform. Um, And we were just, like, talking about games. I remember I was talking to the VP of Communications, you know, which sounds like a really, like, intimidating title. But, like, he was just, we were, like, nerding out over um, a very obscure niche game called Xeno Saga that he Mm. loved as well. And I was like, these are my people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And actually, at the time, um, I was still unsure if I would be a good fit um, for Riot because um, the perception that I had of the company was you had to be a person who lived and breathed League of Legends, Um, someone who, like, deeply loved the game, understood it, played ranked. And I came from a space of loving to play um, very solo-focused games like the jrpgs that i mentioned um and i played like mmos and stuff but this was like a competitive team-based um, moba game and so while i played games i was like i don't know if like i can be a core gamer as they called it right and so at one point they gave me the offer and i actually declined it um wow. playing
0: hard yeah. to get you know last year i <laughs> like uh-uh talk to me later okay well, okay
1: That's that's another milestone, actually, that I'll mention is that by that time in my career, I'd come to a place where I was looking for a company that shared my values versus one that would pay me well um, and like, you know, kind of like move my career forward because I realized that what was important was was finding a place that that matched those values and that culture, you know. Um, and I think that becomes the thing that that surfaces as you grow in your career and you have more choices and more options available is that you get to decide kind of where you want to head and so talking to them I was like yeah I don't know if I'd be a good fit for this and um, the the head of of uh, the discipline at the time took the time to kind of like sit with me on a phone call and like understand where i was coming from which i really really liked and um he actually asked me to give riot a chance because they were trying to move away from that message of like you have to be a league player you have to be a core gamer right they wanted to welcome more people with who loved games in general you know in that spirit of play um and so like they definitely persuaded me to reconsider because they took the time to understand and, um, you know, ask me to give them a chance. Wow. Um, and so I took the offer, um, and funny side story. I had a new boss at my job in Pasadena who'd started, who had just come from riot, uh-huh. uh, oh, sports. Wow. and so he brought with him the, the riot practice of one-on-ones, which, uh-huh. uh I'd never had before and so his like uh the first one-on-one that we had was me telling him that I was leaving for riot
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny yeah what a fall yeah twist of fate dare I say
1: um yeah so that was uh back in 2016. So I've been at Riot for almost four years at this point. Um, I started at Riot as a a writer on um, central publishing. So what that means is that we create the global campaigns uh, for League of Legends. Um, So for Riot, there are several, uh, there's like one main global kind of team, and then there are a bunch of other regional teams that um, will take the material that the global team creates and help make sure that it is tailored to the communities that they Um, and so i was put on the central on what was at the time called personalization publishing so what that means is um, it's marketing for all the cosmetic content so you have your champions the characters that you play and costumes especially for them that are from different universes so you have like a cyber theme or you might Of, like, a magical girl theme. And so, whenever new skin, as we call it, would come out, our team would work with the product team to create campaigns to get. And over the years, um, it's become more focused on, like, working with narrators. And it's included, like, music videos and, like, events. So, instead of it being the skin, it's more about the experience of, like, a new game mode, um, playing missions. Maybe read your story about like this new thematic, uh, you know, interact with us about it. And hey, if you want to buy a skin as a souvenir from that experience, you can.
0: Uh, along yeah. this way, you know, going from choosing advertising and copywriting as your major and your first focus for your career. Were there any major obstacles or road bumps along the way? Were there ever moments where you... Had big doubts, or you started regretting. Oh, maybe I should have done, you know, a business major, or maybe I should have done general marketing instead. Were there ever those moments of self-doubt, or some big obstacles along the way that you had overcome?
1: great question i think for me uh even though copywriting is a specialized what's lovely about it is that um like water you can kind of adapt to the industry that you're in mm-hmm. it can research whether it's about a game or about like a household product or or anything right because it's all about communicating to an audience and and reaching out and like the possibility of of joining in on this brand story um mm-hmm. uh, and so there was no I would say regret because overall copywriting encompasses what I value a lot which is creativity and I've been really lucky to work at places that um, not only value work-life balance but Mm -hmm. actually put it into practice Um, so like having time to like go off and develop a game on my own time or go off and like travel you know which is something I really enjoy um as well or like learn a new skill like, regret of like this or that has not really surfaced because I still feel like I'm able to branch out and try things if I want to. Going
0: back to where you left off in your narrative you know your experiences now at Riot and some of your own uh call it moonlighting projects could you share more mm-hmm. about that transition and you know how you've you know, kicked how that dream came to be and how you've nourished that seed?
1: Are you talking about the game development aspect? Yeah,
0: yeah. Like how you're, uh, I would love to you know, hear your story of how working in the games industry kind of sparked your own desire to create.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about environment. So, you know, when I first started at Riot, I had access to so many talented people, um, you know, like uh, game design narrative writers who had written on on games like God of War or like Avatar The Last Terror mm-hmm. they were also accessible all you had to do was just talk at the brewery and just chat about like that experience you know Mm -hmm. um and so like for a while it was just really inspiring to be able to just like find those folks and sit down and chat. and and when you have people around you who you know encompass that creative spirit like you feel like hey i can do that too you know Mm -hmm. um you feel very empowered too uh, and you feel kind of in control of your your schedule as well um (laughs) another side story i remember is like like i i wanted to take time off early on and so i told my manager like hey i want like a few days to do this thing. Like, is that cool? Mm-hmm. And he gave me a strange look. <laughs> mm. And it was just like, yeah, like, like, why are you asking? Me? Like, just <laughs> oh, do it. <laughs> just do <laughs> it, lovely. Yeah.
0: Uh, like,
1: as long as your work gets done, like, I'm not concerned with you taking time off or, like, you know, just make sure that you take care of what you need to take. The team is, um, uh, you know, has visibility and can cover for you if they need mm-hmm. to. And so that was like, my first thought of being like, oh, this is how an adult is treated, right? Like, yeah. In <laughs> control. And so when it came to the the game development aspect, um, it was a couple of years ago where I went through, um, you know, a bit of a heartbreak and I was like, I want to express this feeling in some way, but not exactly through writing. Um, I want to make a game about it because the people who play it to um, go through the experience with me. You know, I started, I played this game called To The Moon, um, which really made me realize that games have become a lot more accessible. Um, You don't have to be this AAA studio to create a story that, you know, um, comes from one thing to connect to another person. It's a lot more of a personal experience. Um, and I really loved uh, video games as a medium to tell um, a story that maybe is usually expressed uh, you know through writing or through film like video games I think are that next platform um, and are turning into that and so I was like I want to make a game about finding a home Um, and I want it to be through a game because I want it to be an interactive experience I want the player with me um, while they're going through it so that they kind of feel like they're in the, the pilot seat, you know, of this experience. Um, and the, you know, the nice thing <laughs> was I never made a game before. I had no clue mm-hmm. how to make a game. I hired a coach um, to basically like give me the tools to be able to learn the things that I don't know how to learn, learn how to learn, basically, mm-hmm. you know, which is a skill in of itself. And that's another book um, that I'm listening to called ultra learning, um, which is about, uh, yeah, learning how to learn, which is not something that's really taught in school. Very you know? meta,
0: up. I like that. That's cool. Yeah,
1: because, so cool. yeah, because, you know, like in school, it's more about cramming for things and memorizing things versus really understanding them. Um, and so with with something like ultra learning and with the coaching as well, it was more about if you know how to learn something, like every time that you learn something new you'll know how to get there eventually you know versus kind of like fumbling your way about and memorizing the wrong things or like taking up time you know going the long route Mm -hmm. um and so that's what a coach really helped with was like getting clear on like the baby steps and then also uh surprisingly also addressing a lot of um like insecurities and doubts you know and calling them out which is just as important as well um because like one of the things i confided in her about like making a game was you know like why would anyone want to work with me like I don't have the technical skills I don't have a programming skill I don't know how to draw um, you know like I can I can write um, but like you know is that enough and she just smiled at me I remember and said what a lovely plate of bullshit
0: <laughs> yeah. That's
1: a and I, I just, uh, it was, it stunned me. Um, but like, you know, she would challenge me and say like, why don't you reach out to these people? Like, you know, she'd be like, what do you think would, uh, be what you need in order to have a team, right? Maybe you have a team around you, you don't even realize it. And you know what, by the end of that year, I had created a prototype, uh, for the game with like people who knew how to make music, uh, people who knew how to do animations, build character models, all of that. Um, we worked remotely and it was a mixture of people who had been recommended to me and also friends from like my advertising career, mm. you know. So there was a blend of like, yeah, like they never made a game before, but they had the, the principles of of what it takes to create something. Um, and some of those some of those were like from requests that I'd made of like, hey, like would you be open to just like going on this journey with me? Mm-hmm. some were recommendations and some were people who were really excited by the idea that I had and was like hey I would love to write music for this you know oh, and so that gave me a lot of self-confidence of knowing how to make a request, you know, mm. and how to, like, just try something. And, um, you know, if if I get one answer or another, I have my information that I need and I can move on to the next step, you know, instead of focusing a lot on that single answer. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up doing a bunch of things I, I, I'd i never done before, like going to like game dev drink ups where I would meet with in the in the neighborhood, who worked at other game studios, and mm-hmm. I made like a friend who was a game designer in, um, uh, at Naughty Dog, you know, mm-hmm. and like he just like different people, connecting me with different people. I didn't even have to do a lot of the work because he was such a social butterfly. Wow. Um, and so. Yeah, it was like it opened my eyes to to possibility and seeing that like I'm more than just you know that one role that I've I've assigned to myself. Um, and so yeah, by the end of that year, I had that that game prototype. And what I realized from it was that it was a lot of fun. Um, but what I really valued the most was learning how to build a team um, and how to kind of like facilitate creativity with people and make something special, you know. Yeah. And uh, and as luck would have it. Um, By the time I finished that prototype, this woman reached out to me on LinkedIn shortly afterward, and she was the organizer for a game jam called the Valkyrie Jam. And they were in their second year, and she reached out to me and asked if I would like to. It was uh, every year, it's two teams of six women and non-binary folks. Um, It happens in northern Sweden. You make two games in 10 days. um, And... uh, like it's everything is paid for except for your flight, um, including food, lodging. It was like in this space in northern Sweden, so you're kind of disconnected from the city life, so you can just focus on creating cool shit. Wow. Um, so I was like, this is so serendipitous that I just yeah. finished learning how to make a game prototype, and now someone's reaching out to like make a full polished game in 10 days with game. Um, and so I. Like, I applied for that, like, within the first hour that I got that. yeah. Oh, I was so yeah. excited. I was like, this is the universe dropping something into my lap and saying, hey, this is everything that you, have like, worked toward, like, this next, you know? Mm-hmm. So I applied for it. And, you know, there was, there was a little bit of uh, insecurity still at that point because um, I worked on the marketing side in game development. Um, and I had some game dev experience, but I wasn't by trade. Like, again, a programmer or a game designer and all that. But I applied anyway yeah. by hearing my, my coach's voice in my head.
0: Uh, <laughs> another nice uh, plate. Except this up the the dessert, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then within a month, uh, she replied back to me and said, you're in. Wow. Uh, and so I was um, paired up uh, with five other five other folks um, from Sweden, from Paris, from Seattle, from like really well-known game studios like uh, 343 Industries, you know, Malma, this, the studio in Malma, Tarcier, the ones who did Little Nightmares, just a bunch of different folks. And um, we ended up... Uh, making a game together in in 10 days. And I learned so much, you know, I was the only person at the game jam who was from the marketing side, actually. Um, Um, but like what I realized was because I was like a more general floater type, it actually allowed me to do more. For example: We had two programmers on our team, and they wanted to do some narrative design. They definitely wanted to do some illustration, you know, like be involved in the creative stuff. But we definitely needed them to build the,
0: uh, Make the, the game. framework.
1: Yeah. you know they had to focus for me i was able to kind of like play the role of game producer game designer i did some illustration i did some narrative design i learned a little bit of animation i learned how to do some visual scripting Mm -hmm. and so like i just realized the value of bringing bringing that to the table um and also um the sponsors for the game jam came in the middle of the week to look at our progress and they were looking at our game and they were like, "Oh, like what's this game about?" And everyone on my team turned and looked at me expectantly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's when I realized that was another skill that I had kind of taken for granted mm-hmm. was like that ability to articulate something really well and pitch something, which is something that you just learn uh, as an advertiser and a marketer, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're very much um, put on the spot to answer those tough questions, whether yes. those lovely stakeholder meetings or yep. when you're explaining like, why are you doing this? You know, you yes, gotta have a that lot. quick pitch. Mm-hmm,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. That quick pitch and being able to say something simply um, so that someone can understand exactly what you mean quickly,
0: yeah. you know?
1: Um. So, so yeah, like that I was like, Oh, like that's also something that I can do and do for the team, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. And so our game was like a, a gardening game. That was mm-hmm. the intention behind it was that we wanted to do something that was about self care and mm-hmm. kind of just like, place that people could escape to and relax and so it ended up being this like garden simulation game with a collection-based aspect so you were this Person who entered this like tile this like just empty green tile and you were there to kind of nurture and cultivate trees plants and animals and depending on how you planted stuff it could summon different creatures um or like summon more like mythical types of of animals and trees um the more that you planted and kind of were like the steward of the sanctuary you know wow. and like, storing the magic to the place yeah. um so so that was that was like it came from like a, a place of like we all wanted to make something like that, which is mm-hmm. why I imagine we were all put together is that we had the same sensibility for um, like calm and nurturing, while the other team was more focused on the the competitive side oh. um, or like skill side. So their game was really cool, also like you were a um, a witch who had a familiar and you were being um, uh, you know like uh, chased after by this 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 crowd and you had to like. Mm jump through like you know different puzzles and stuff in order to escape the the witch burning ceremony
0: Uh,
1: yeah it was it was really cool um (laughs) definitely a lot
0: darker you know whole life that compares you know a garden of self-care yeah
1: (laughs) yeah um but you know by the end of it we were both like everyone was just so amazed by our progress and it just reminded me of like when you team and you have like You know, sharp focus on what you want out of your 10 days, you can make something like two games in 10 days, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just like really inspired me, made me think a lot about the environment, you know, like, who are you surrounding yourself with every day? Who's nurturing your mind, your heart, your soul? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, what are you seeking in order to facilitate the life that you want?
0: Wow, that's a really profound thing to consider is, you know, your own I'll call it your bubble or that, you know, that core group of five. I think they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, has coming out of that game jam in northern Sweden, did it make you drive any changes in your life? Was it, wow, you know, I need to support myself and have more self-love. I need to find more positivity. Or was it, you know, saying a bunch of thank yous to the folks that do radiate kindness and warmth in your life? Uh, Mm -hmm. Were there any particular steps that you took after, you know, reconciling or this experience?
1: Yeah, um, from that game jam in particular, I I really um, came to to understand the importance of knowledge sharing and mentorship. Um, A lot of that as someone who uh, the only person in that in that group who had not been on the game development side professionally, and um, up until then I had always replied to. Um, students and folks looking to change careers who mm-hmm. reached out to me on LinkedIn, always happy to jump on a call and stuff. Uh, but like to the extent that some of the women on on the game jam, like they would go to conferences and like they would give workshops and stuff, wow. I'd never really put myself in that seat. Mm-hmm. And again, <laughs> as, as luck would have it, um, <clears throat> like university relations at Riot, um, they were going to my alma mater, UT Austin, mm-hmm. this year to recruit students. And so they wanted writers who were alumni from that school to come and like um, talk to students and stuff. And so uh, I went with uh, a narrative writer and also an engineer. And um, we wanted to, me and the narrative writer wanted to give uh, a workshop presentation on writing on League of Legends. And um, what I realized I could bring to the table was helping these students understand that uh, writing in the games industry isn't just Uh, story focused it's not just lore Mm -hmm. and narrative Uh, there are plenty of other writers who do editorial who do copywriting who do esports writing who do brand writing that still get to interact with product um, and even influence product as well and vice versa you know it's a very collaborative and unique kind of process at Riot Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what I went to the the workshop with and we did like presentations and Q&As and by that point I was just like there was nothing that was like I didn't feel intimidated or scared or nervous actually and I think a lot of it I owe to the narrative writer because we kind of just off each other's energy um but like you know students were, were super engaged they were just super happy to have us there um and just like uh we were supposed to have breaks between the sessions um but like they would come up and like we would continue conversing and then we bleed into the next session so it was literally like hours of like answering questions and giving a presentation and all the stuff and i just realized how rewarding it was because mm-hmm. reminded me of like these are these are the folks who we're making things for you know yeah. and they're just like super happy to like learn more and like they they want to like you know be like they're so inspired um and i'm just like yeah i want to give these people something to hold on to so that they can uh you know pay that forward one day too
0: I love that. I love that so yeah. much. I think that's one thing that I look for whenever I you know, do these podcast episodes. Uh-huh. The folks yeah. that guest, do they like walk the talk both in terms of their own careers and leading meaningful purpose-driven careers, but also all the folks that I have on this podcast care a lot about mentorship. And I think there's this idea of a lot of folks helped us figure out where, where and how to... Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. drive our careers and you're doing it you know for the younger folks and I would I was also very curious to ask is of all the different people that went to these workshops were there any questions that really stood out as wow I remember this is a really really good question not just saying you know that generic oh this is a good question but were there any very thoughtful questions that you remember or were they all you know mainly you know generic questions about oh internships gpas were there any standout questions from any of the students you reached uh you had that workshop with
1: um so i don't remember specific questions but mm-hmm. i do just remember the the surprise and the excitement of seeing that there was a way to get into the games industry without having yeah. to be a programmer uh-huh. or you know or like you know there's 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 roles like gameplay capture artist right mm-hmm. where um like it's a very like kind of niche role but like people might do that for fun and not realize that that can be an actual profession and something yeah. that's highly sought after actually mm-hmm. um and so like they would come after the presentations or like just kind of like we would just kind of like detour a little bit in the presentation and they would like ask questions about like oh well how does marketing work with product right
0: Mm because like
1: i think there was like one person in the crowd who was a marketing major and i was like yeah
0: one of us
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs)
0: um
1: but i think it really helped to enlighten folks on like marketing like you know similar to when i was a freshman like oh it's just like directly to the forehead right it's like right. oh it's so much richer uh than that like marketing has evolved become like this human experience and and good marketing i think isn't intrusive or invasive into someone's like space you know mm-hmm. it kind of like uh, is the brand serving as a platform to enable people to like use their voices right mm-hmm. um and so so i i saw a lot of that i saw a lot of just like folks who wanted to learn more about the work that we did um and just like i remember there was um there was an artist who came up to me mm. and was just like, "Oh, you know, like I had, I was thinking about like going into um like concept art uh on the on the game development side, but like hearing you talk about the things that you've worked on, like you know like the music videos, for example, or you know, the cinematics. I didn't realize the marketing team. I thought that was like." You like a part of product building cinematics, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I imagine, like at places um, like like Blizzard, for example, one of my teammates in the game jam was actually the lead cinematic designer at Blizzard.
0: Oh yeah, they did um, an so excellent like, job, a world class job on all this. Yeah. Cinematic. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah. And so that team isn't the marketing team on their side, right? That team is very like they work very closely with um, the game devs on the product side. But at, at Riot, um, we're actually working with vendors on cinematics or like internally on like, you know, gameplay capture kind of trailers and things like that. Um, and so this artist came up to me, I was like, I like was really inspired by the work that came out from the marketing team on, and was like, I, now I'm kind of like curious to learn more about marketing and how art kind of works with marketing at Riot, you know. So it was just like that kind of uh, spark, that growth, you know, basically of just realizing, oh, there's so much more opportunity than I thought there was previously here, yeah. um, I think are the things that stuck out to me the most is just like, uh, reinforces the importance of having diversity of roles present yeah. at these kinds of workshops to really help students understand that the things that they're learning in their textbook versus the way that things are rapidly evolving um, in in the in the games industry in that space might look very different, right? And there's room for flex and and kind of pivoting and um, so many different ways to open the door and come in.
0: Yeah, I love it and I wanted to add a comment in terms of breaking into the games industry as both of us have worked and have lived and breathed, you know, making games and publishing <laughs> games. I think when we talk with a lot of students that you know, they come up to us or they reach out on LinkedIn and they ask, you know, how do I break into the game industry? I really, really love playing your game. You know, I play mm-hmm. so many hours I'm this rank. And I feel mm. a lot of times there's this idea that you can get into the games industry by being really good at the game or by <laughs> just playing it yeah. a lot. I think yeah. that's an area that's a very very it's a, it's a dangerous fallacy because there's mm-hmm. only it's almost like I like to play basketball, therefore I want to be an NBA player, right? And that same idea that yeah. we have, you know, mm-hmm. esports as a you know burgeoning industry mm-hmm. and yes. opportunity, but that's a, a risky path versus hey you know there's more than just being a professional esports gamer but there's idea of how do you combine what skills that you have right it's Mm -hmm. one thing to say i play a lot of you know video games or i play a lot of league of legends call of Mm -hmm. duty whatever it may be but it's what is that skill that you bring what else are you good at right like Mm -hmm. is it finance can you do modeling can you forecast the amount of units that you'll sell for black friday or Mm -hmm. is it you know on the more technical or creative side, being an environment artist or being a a designer or a, a world builder, right, for mm-hmm. the lore or you know, the narrative team, and I think that's uh, another way of you know, packaging your skills and your passion together. That I feel it's very often overlooked or it's not very apparent when you're a college student. It's like, right. how do I, how why, oh, why would Blizzard want to hire me, or why would Naughty Talk ever hire a a guy from uh, a person with a business major, right? What's, oh, well, mm-hmm. it's probably because we don't have that much point of view or that much clarity on how businesses work when you're a college student. But right? I think the big piece of wisdom here would be it's less about playing the game and loving mm-hmm. the game but it's what is that skill that you bring you don't have to be you know elite top 1% of all financial analysts in the world right but it's more right. how do you bring your training your skills or internships and take that experience into the game industry so i think that's a you know coachable moment that i wish i uh, knew earlier on in my college career so that i could oh, yeah. you know, drive some changes earlier
1: yeah and for sure like if if you know uh, there is certainly a way into the game, games industry if you play a lot of the game like a lot of people do end up um getting their foot in the door by becoming like play testers right or or um qa um kind of kind of testers um and that's one way for sure that that's one of the more obvious ways i suppose but yeah like you were saying like it's like what are the things that you really value or the things that you you know um like do you like crunching numbers right do you like kind of analyzing things or do you like researching and drawing insights about marketing trends Mm-hmm. um or like do you enjoy kind of like coordinating with different teams to make sure that things get delivered mm-hmm. um you know like do you just want to be around creative folks but maybe like don't uh like it's it's okay if you're not the one making those things but you want to be around that energy right because there's definitely yeah. roles that are just important because mm-hmm. that stuff just wouldn't get done without those those folks on the team as well right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so yeah like like i would i would absolutely agree with that. I'm just like, take the time to really understand the things that you value and mm-hmm. the things that you want to grow in, like skill set wise, like people skills, or do I really want to get really good at a technical thing, you know? Yeah. And there's like, the games industry is just so diverse that mm-hmm. there's certainly a role that fits into the the things that you want to grow into.
0: Yeah. It just reminds me before I went on this lovely trip, I mm-hmm. did a workshop for uh, some yeah, It's probably the youngest group of students that I've uh, done a presentation for. It was <laughs> a mixture of elementary and middle school students. So these folks were from 8 to 13. And it was mm-hmm. a mixture of them plus their parents. And this is a, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. It's a group that's called able to shine and it coaches your kids on how to be good at public speaking. Definitely starting them early. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the majority exactly. of them are you know, Asian. Uh, a lot of the parents are from China and uh-huh. for them, their big concern. Or the reason why there was such huge turnout was they all had this big, big burning question of, Oh my gosh, my child, likes video games how do I fix them or how do I like get them <laughs> off this addiction and make sure that they go to college and all the kids I remember when that question was being asked like all the kids were sitting on the ground on the on the front row and all the parents were sitting in the seats they were both looking at me like don't don't like don't uh, destroy our hopes and dreams you know like don't take the parents side and I remember it's like wow this is my one Aww. chance to like, speak up for the younger generation that hey yeah, yeah. day. Loving video games is is it's a perfectly fine hobby, right? It's yeah. something that should be done in moderation as a parent. That's what we should be aiming for. It shouldn't be mm-hmm. killing their passion or their love for the game, because at the end yeah. of the day, as resourceful young kids, you know, you'll find a way to play games. You'll bend the rules. You know, you'll you'll steal the laptop back, or you'll you know put it back <laughs> exactly where you found the game or the switch these days, right? So I think that was yeah. uh, a really eye-opening moment where it made me realize that. I'm glad that my parents regulated but didn't you know uh, ban video games to say for my household yeah. um, and you know both my brother and my sister and i we all worked in the game industry or tangentially mm-hmm. in the game industry at, at one point in time and that was really really funny that you know, we can all look back and say hey it's our love for this game and you know playing games was so pure it was bringing family yeah. together playing with my mm-hmm. brother or my cousins or you know, meeting new friends and i think that mm-hmm. as yeah. the industry shifts and continues to bring on more talent, whether on the esports side, production, publishing, whatever it may be, or the, the tools, you know, the cloud support, or the uh, game engines, there's so many roles in the games industry, and it's, it doesn't always have to be you have to work out your favorite game, you know, playing the game, whether in a mm-hmm. gameplay capture or professional gamer mm-hmm. role, there's so mm-hmm. many so many opportunities, and it's uh, th- there's no better time to get in the game industry, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's just like it's such uh, an intersection because you have games, you have entertainment, you know. Um and like, you know, esports as you, as you were saying, like it it has like an even larger viewership now than than the NFL. And as like the, you know, the games industry is becoming more like globally understood, it's like, yeah, like games is just like it's the next entertainment medium, right? Like before, it was like radio, and then people were kind of like pushing back against it because it's not the same as like books, right? And yeah, then it was yeah. like, and then it was like uh, TV shows, and then it was film, and now it's games, right? You even yeah. see film directors becoming game directors as well, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, an evolution, and then also just like games are are as old as as the human race right mm-hmm. like the idea of play and the spirit of like connecting through play um, education through play connection through play um, I love that it's become more understood by the world um, and I can't wait to see like how it continues to evolve
0: yeah beautiful beautifully said um, and the last topic I would love to dive deeper into journey of finding your voice whether it's how do you how did you first find that voice from having confidence to write, whether it was, you know, that elementary school experience, but fostering that, feeding that, you know, how mm-hmm. do you re-energize? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I think finding your voice in this world is just like a lifelong journey, for sure. Um, you know, it's it's always constantly changing as you gain more experiences. Um, and like my my learning so far has been like to seek out the people who who are listening, You know, I think like often in this world, you'll come into a place where everyone kind of wants to say the things that like are on their minds or the things that they want to push. And as you grow more into your career and just as a human being, empathy becomes front and foremost. Um, I recently connected with a friend who used to work at Riot and now works um, at Gearbox. And he's been taken under the wing of the VP of Business Development there and has been able to sit in on meetings with executives at Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony. And I asked him like what are those meetings like what are the meetings like um where everyone's kind of like an executive and you're negotiating business deals you know Mm -hmm. what have you noticed is a difference between those kinds of meetings and like the meetings that you have with your peers and he said like without fail in every single one of those meetings uh there's three things one nobody in that meeting is a dick (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh two everyone is an excellent listener Um, and three no one's trying to push their agenda on anyone Um, everyone's asking like probing questions to really get onto the same page and understand like what the needs are of the other party and coming to an agreement that everyone can kind of see like what's in it for them and like how we can both benefit and grow together right Mm -hmm. and so the through line to that is empathy right and so when it comes to finding your voice it's like Sometimes it does feel like you have to like assert yourself, right, and like really like like take up space and all of that, and ha- find your seat. And for me, like going about it in that way has always felt uh, less true to me, and something that I had to force myself to do. It feels a bit more violent in a way. Yeah. Um, and what I realize is that hey, maybe it's not just all on me, you know? Maybe yeah. actually, what we all need to learn to do is listen to one another, so that way. We all don't have to fight to be heard, um, and so I think like when it comes to finding your voice, it's like looking for those people who will be there to lift you and want to hear what you have to say on a podcast, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: love, um, yeah. yeah, 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 and like just like you know, giving yourself room to explore your identity. Sometimes it feels mm. like it gets locked in, you know, like once you're, you know, you've you've majored in something, right? But mm-hmm. that's more of an illusion, I think. It's like you're you're constantly an actor on a stage, right? And you have every opportunity to close the curtain and start a new show. Yeah. Um, you know, like go out and like try improv if you're interested in theater, but you feel kind of like scared about it, right? Like go do it, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go to places that you maybe wouldn't uh, usually explore. Like um, there was this book that I was reading called. Um, Uh, the artist's way, which is very popular amongst um, creative types. And one of the things that, yeah, one of the things that the author talks about is going on creative dates with yourself. Um, So like a weekend or like once a month or something like schedule time to do something that ignites your creative spirit, whether Mm. that is going to a workshop or a museum or like, you know, volunteering at like a nursery garden or like, you know, you know, kayaking or something different, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we all need that to nourish our creative spirit. And whether you're a creative or like you care more about like the business kind of uh side of things, like that ability to to grow and learn something new, I think is inherently human and we should uh we should and deserve that space. Yeah.
0: I, I could say that right now I'm on a, let hmm, it's a two month long creative date with myself. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a <laughs> nice. mixture. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a brand new country and you know, with the country, the, the language that you don't speak. I mean, that's definitely something you could do. But I think it's a exposing yourself to whether it's new lines of questioning, whether it's in a mm-hmm. workshop as you mentioned, or reading books that you otherwise wouldn't be exposed to, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it's using your body in ways you haven't done. You don't, Think ways that you normally don't do, whether it's you don't do yoga on a day to day basis, or most people don't do stand up kayaking, right? I think just engaging your body, it just gives you a different perspective on things. And of course, everyone knows that quote about insanity it's doing the same thing again and again, expecting something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's how I kind of felt when I was kind of going through the motions in the Bay Area, the same streets, you know, driving back and forth on in the, the town that I grew up in. You know, even though you're working and, you know, you're a grown-up, it's still, oh, I think I've seen the street before. I think I've eaten at this restaurant, you know, for many, mm-hmm. many years. I wasn't getting that type of, you know, renewal or that sort of inspiration that I very much needed to help mm-hmm. make decisions about what I do next. So I definitely agree about, you know, creative dates or you really have to take take action. You know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'm careful not to say take control because I know that's another mm-hmm. that can be a uh, mm-hmm. it can be an impediment sometimes to the creative process. Is trying to be too controlling, mm-hmm. but for me, I think this is you know it speaks so true to my current situation. It's something I've always believed in. It's you know, really have to go outside of the norm to really understand yourself or to get new perspectives, to solve whether mm-hmm. it's a problem or to make a different decision.
1: Right. Yeah. Like to be able to solve new problems and new challenges as you level up in life, you need to do things and go places that you've never gone before to get new information and new experiences. And the wonderful thing is if if you surround yourself with people with that same mindset, when you, uh, you know, reconnect with those folks, you have something new to share and exchange and continue that growth together.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, This conversation has been you know reminds me of the many different uh times we had lunch and just talk about all the things going on in our lives and i really appreciate all the different wisdom and advice that you shared today and as we wrap up because i want to be conscious of your time i know it's getting late on a weekday Uh, Mm -hmm. as we wrap up like could you share a little bit more about some of the challenges or the opportunities that are currently on your plate
1: Oh yes. So I am a bit at a crossroads um, at my current at my current job between continuing down the path of writer or going into the more uh, broader space of being a creative lead. Uh, and I've been given the opportunity throughout this year to stretch into creative lead work, which I've really enjoyed. Um, and so I'm kind of leaning more toward the latter. And that I realize that like if I just look at my life as a whole, um, writing is a, a definite tool and something that I love. I also tend to bounce around and be more of a generalist, uh, you know, an explorer. And I think maybe that's become more apparent the more that I have branched out and tried different things. So like writing has kind of been my home base. You know, we've talked a little bit about home um yeah. so like that's my home base but I am free to like you know branch out learn new things and be able to articulate it through writing in the future um so that's like a new challenge for me is like deciding on on what course I want to take um <laughs> but talking now kind of sounds like I've made my choice
0: Sounds Podcast therapy,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, down that that route of home is like learning more about real estate, which is a completely different field than advertising or games industry. Or is it, Derek? Or is it? So I've discovered along the way is that there are definite skills that I've acquired in advertising and in the games industry that can go to real estate you know? Um, so like, that's been another wonderful kind of, um, uh, revelation is that the skills that you develop along the way don't, uh, kind of imprison you into that space, you know? Um, you can definitely continue to build on those skills and, And apply them elsewhere. That's actually even better for, I think, the the world as a whole. To have people from different spaces come into new spaces and innovate. Uh, Uh You know, like one of my favorite games, Gris, which came out uh, last year. uh, is a beautifully illustrated game in watercolor. And the game designers for that game were architects.
0: Oh, wow. Uh,
1: um, Yes. So, not your traditional game designers, but that game is beautiful. And because they brought a different of role into the space of game designer, they were able to create something truly unique um that inspired people in a way that uh was unexpected.
0: Yeah, I think. Then the day some of us can look back and, oh I've only been a I'm to use your background uh, as an example would be oh I've only done writing or I've been a writer does that mean I'm stuck in doing writing it's like no 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 if anything it's you have that foundation <laughs> or that that lens yeah. or paradigm of being a writer and being able to communicate clearly and you can yes. transition that to any sort of field you see fit right basically because I think I remember actually asking a mentor a long time ago when I first started at Microsoft and I had a lot of imposter syndrome, you know, just coming from a state school, all the other mm-hmm. kids were, you know, Ivy League kids. Mm-hmm. I was asking them very, very openly, you know, what, what is it about Ivy League kids when they adjust? Or like, how can you tell, you know, whether someone went to, you know, top tier school or, or otherwise? And they took a, a pause to think about it. And they realized it's not an absolute truth. But very often, a lot of these folks that went to really really good schools they're not necessarily oh marketing majors business majors or finance majors but they they come from like philosophy free thought mm-hmm. or you know like liberal arts majors that are mm-hmm. very atypical to they don't translate one to one but it's mm-hmm. the ability to take that alternative way alternative perspective or a different school of thought and find connective tissue between let's say you know increasing the amount of users for this business product and that or, you know, understanding the business culture of a certain market and combining those with, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or some mm-hmm. sociological or psychological phenomena and being able to find a different solution. So I think it's, it's less about, oh, you know, I have to be tried and true, have to have 10 years of experience in this exact same field, it's right. more that, that variety and ability to tell a story about how these things are additive, not, you know they don't take away from the experience yes yeah.
1: yeah you know what just to, to that to, to give folks um a, a lens into the writer that i work with on mm-hmm. the marketing so my major is advertising and marketing we do have several writers who uh, majored in english or creative writing we also have writers in animation and philosophy um and like a bunch of other random <laughs> things yeah. but like even like the the head game uh, uh creative designer person uh riot was a was a what do you call it he was a uh, oceanographer i believe oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: so like there are definite things that you can learn in different industries that contribute and add as you were saying to to the teams that work on the industry as a whole
0: yeah wow and as we wrap up our conversation today i always love to invite our our guests to share a piece of advice or a piece of wisdom that they wish they learned earlier in their careers that we can Mm. share with our listeners anything come to mind whether it's lessons quotes or uh, wisdom that you wish you had earlier in your life
1: Oh, my gosh. So many. But um, I mean, just I guess to to fall in line with with the whole finding your voice theme that we have going on here, um, I would say just like continue to to speak up and try new things no matter how much your voice shakes it's not a sign that you know you're doing anything wrong um it's a sign of growth right you're kind of facing your your insecurities and your fears and and doing it anyway right which is the bravest thing anyone can do um and also just to like know who your people are you know like do they serve you know does your environment to the people around you do they serve kind of like your vision for for yourself you know mm-hmm. and also like you just you don't need to know everything right but like having just like that single spark to hold on to of like where you want to head or the things that you're interested in like chase that chase that curiosity you know mm-hmm. um keep that momentum going like even if like you're like oh i'd really love to learn how to uh whittle a, a wooden creature that'd be pretty cool like mm-hmm. just try it you never yeah. know like It might be the original intention to do that thing, but you don't know what you'll discover along the way.
0: Beautifully, beautifully said. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to share more about your journey and your experiences. And I think there's just so much to learn and so much to give away to all of our listeners. And even for ourselves, if we re-listen to this, it's sometimes just reflecting on our own journeys gives us, Mm -hmm. you know, it's actually all the clues to the map, figure out what we're doing next. So... Again, yeah, I really, for sure. really appreciate the time and I really, really enjoy speaking with you as always. And I'm really glad to see how much, you know, how all the incredible developments from the game studio and the development process and your own personal growth. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. It's always such a joy to chat with you. And I'm I'm happy that people get to hear how our conversations usually go.
0: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's again... Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with our audiences. Thanks, Maya.
1: Thank you, Derek.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to the Paper Lantern Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Wong. And I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. We are just getting started with producing episodes and could use your input to help us get better. If you have any feedback for us or suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a friend or colleague that you think might enjoy this episode, please share our podcast with them and tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers.